Hello, and welcome to Two Crocs in a Pod. I'm Tanisha. I'm Beth. And we are faculty at Glendale Community College in Arizona. Welcome to our episode where we are going to be focusing on resiliency, more specifically professional resiliency, with Dr. Thomas Aubrey. So welcome, Dr. Aubrey, to our show. We appreciate you being here today. Thank you, Tanisha. Thank you, Beth. Thank you for having me on the show. Mm-hmm. I'm going to give a little bit of an intro- introduction so that our listeners know a little bit more about Thomas. So he is the Director of Behavioral Health Sciences and Professor at Glendale Community College in Glendale, Arizona. Dr. Aubrey has a master's degree in marriage and family therapy. He attained his doctorate in behavioral health from Arizona State University. He is the author of several books, uh, Resilient Learner, Thriving and Succeeding in College, The Resilient Professional, Psychological and Emotional Resiliency, and Mental and Emotional Resilience for First Responders. He is also the co-author of the books, Transformative Care, A Trauma-Focused Approach to Caregiving and Unlocking the Code to Human Resiliency, Building Professional Resiliency Against Burnout, Traumatic Stress, and Compassion Fatigue. Dr. Aubrey is a certified mental health first aid trainer, as well as a certified clinical trauma professional and certified family trauma professional. He's also a certified compassion fatigue professional and trainer with the Trauma Institute International. Dr. Aubrey also has a strong background in crisis work and is a certified trainer in nonviolent crisis intervention. He is also a certified applied suicide intervention skills training instructor a certified safe talk instructor, and trained in critical incident stress management and crisis de-escalation. And his current passion is helping healthcare providers, first responders, and mental health providers develop the resiliency to prevent the harmful side effects of working in a highly stressful environment, including traumatic stress, burnout, and compassion fatigue. And maybe we should add pandemics there, Thomas. What do you think? I think so. Okay. Current situation. (laughs) Welcome. Wow. We're so fortunate to have you today with all of your expertise. And we I I think our listeners will really benefit from what you have to say. Thank you. Now in that introduction, I, I noticed that a word that came up often was the word resiliency, and which is one of the reasons why we're definitely talking with you today because of your expertise in it. So when we hear the word resiliency, what does it really mean? And then what does professional resiliency mean? That's a good question because uh, when we look at the word resiliency, we can find that in multiple disciplines. So that can be a little bit confusing um, depending who I'm talking to. For example, in ecological studies, we we can take a look at the limits of of our, our Earth's resiliency which is quite different from the form of resiliency that I'm talking about in, in, in some ways. Um, when I'm talking about professional resiliency, it's more referencing human resiliency more than other types of resiliency. And this really evolved out of the study of psychotherapy. So if we were to go back and take a look, when's the first time research was taking a look at human resiliency, what we find is that beginning in 1954, Uh, Warner and her colleagues studied 698 children and their families. And what they were doing is they were 
studying these children and their exposure to severe conditions, um, whether that might be um, their parents uh, were um, were using substances, whether it was there was abuse or neglect, whatever the case may, may be, what these researchers hypothesized would be that these children would do poor developmentally um, or, de- or poorly um, have poor developmental outcomes by the age of 10. But to their surprise, these research actually researchers found that one third of the children fared well. Um, so they developed, they didn't develop serious emotional disturbances. They didn't uh, have persistent behavioral problems. So this really changed the focus of the research. And instead of looking at the negative effects of our environment, they wanted to study resilience. In essence, what these researchers and in future researchers wanted to know is what enables one person to adapt or bounce back during adversity or a pandemic as we're cur- as, as currently is happening, um, extraordinary stressful conditions, even loss. And, and then what prevents others from rebounding from a similar situation of adversity or loss? And more importantly, though, can we teach these resiliency skills to others? That's an important, that's a very important question. The answer we found was yes. Um, and it, it's wrapped up in the words of John Kabat-Zinn, who said, you can't stop the waves. And that's very true right now with our pandemic. We can't stop the waves. But he continues saying, but you can learn to surf. Mm-hmm. And that, in essence, we can say that's what resiliency is, is really learning to surf. In, in these strong waves, whatever is occurring in adverse, during adversity. Um, and this is, in essence, what we wanted to do is train professionals to surf despite the high levels of traumatic stress that's common in their profession. That's a great answer. And I love that quote. Mm-hmm. Yes. I'm going to throw in a follow-up question for you, Thomas, and that is then... Are we are we trying are we trying to get people to just have a positive attitude, or how is that different from resiliency? That's a good question. And then later in this interview, I'll talk about the PERT model. But the PERT model really combines different forms of uh, resiliency programs that exist currently. And what I found over the years is that I wasn't satisfied with just one single type of, of resiliency model. So the accelerated recovery program was where I started. That was the major resiliency program that I started with because it had the most evidence-based research to support the reduction of compassion fatigue, the reduction of burnout, and the reduction of traumatic stress among uh, professionals. And and that was important because when you take a look at these helping professionals, uh, they're suffering. Uh, I mean, you look at first responders, you're more likely to die by suicide than on the line of duty. There's 300 physicians approximately that die by suicide each year. When we take a look at nurses, mental health professionals, um, there are high rates of burnout and compassion fatigue. In all these caring, helping, and serving professionals, there's in the literature we see sleeping problems, health complications, substance abuse, marital problems, high rates of divorce among police officers, early retirement. And we wanted, when we looked at professional resiliency, we wanted them to survive. But going back to your question, we wanted, we didn't just want them to survive, we wanted them to thrive. It's like our children. 
We don't want just our children to survive. We want them to thrive in life. We want them to be happy. And so um, those, that type of, uh, you know, the accelerated recovery program really didn't deal with happiness and satisfaction, work satisfaction. And so I incorporated other forms of resiliency programs um, from the work of, of, of Martin Solomon that really, how do we build happiness? How do we make our professionals not just thrive, uh, I mean, uh, survive, but thrive in life? How do, they, how do we build well-being? So in essence, answering your question, we wanted to encompass the whole professional. We wanted to make sure they were healthy, emotionally, uh, physically, spiritually, um, that they were happy in their life. And so we combined various elements of resiliency programs into a single resiliency program that allowed them to do just that. Gotcha. Okay. So more long-lasting and deep. Okay. Then I don't know about this next question I have for you which is what can negatively impact an individual's resilience. So if a person has already developed uh, skills that help build resilience, do they always have those skills and are always able to use them? Or is there something that could negatively impact that individual's resilience? So that's, that's, um, so when we take a look at resilience, it, it, we take a look at it a, on a spectrum, right, from really poor to good. And we can fall along that spectrum uh, depending on what occurs in our life. So we can say that resilience is multifaceted. Um, and our level of resiliency relies on our physical health, for example. And so as an example, if we um, lose sleep, if we're lacking sleep that reduces our optimal levels of tolerance to stress. So our resiliency is lower just by the lack of sleep. Um, Poor mental health. If we're not attending to our mental health, it doesn't matter if we have built resiliency because resiliency is a lifelong skill. This is something that we practice ongoing for the rest of our lives. Because in the moment that we stop practicing, then we can have poor poor mental health or poor emotional health and that reduces our, our, our level of tolerance to stress or resiliency. Genetics, of course, and epigenetics play a role in it. Um, but the type of relationships we grew up with also play a major role in this. Um, as well as our exposure to traumatic stress, early exposure to traumatic stress has a huge impact on our level of resiliency. And we know this from our VA studies. The more exposure to traumatic stress in, in earlier in life, the increased risk of mental health disorders, the increased risk of med- uh, medical illness, the increased risk of emotional and behavioral problems, and the increased risk of suicide, among other things. Um, so you can see it's, it's m- multiple elements uh, coming together to enhance or reduce our resiliency negatively. And that's really interesting what you said about how it's multifaceted, how it can be a combination of things that can significantly impact them, like things like sleep. I know a lot of people don't necessarily get the sleep that they're supposed to have and how that could impact your stress levels. It's like it feels like it, it brings down your stress level defense. And if you don't have that stress level defense, it's, it's, it's difficult to, to deal or manage with that stress. And then if it's uh, 
brought on also by, for example, like you said, previous relationships and, um, and, and people not even having that awareness of how those relationships actually impact them. Um, that's, that's really interesting to know as well. And, and I see why it's so important to have that, that, that holistic kind of focusing on the entire person well-being as far as physical, emotional, and spiritual, because all of those things have to be addressed in order to really be able to build that resiliency, which sounds like it really just takes um, a lot of different things that everyone has to really be mindful of in order to be resilient. Absolutely. And, and, and that goes along what you just said is that the good news is that we can offset all these effects. Um, we can improve sleep. And we have really good research that, that shows how can we improve our get deeper sleep? Um, we can improve overall well-being. We can improve aspects of our mental and emotional health. Um, if we had exposure to to an early in life to traumatic stress, we can even offset those by building uh, improving well-being through resiliency training. So that's the good news. That is good news. That means I'm not, you don't have to stay stuck where you're at. <laughs> You can build up some, build up that resiliency, which I think everyone needs, especially right now. Yeah. Or even simply, just to simply getting something neat, right? The, the, the term going around hangry. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, but even not eating something can, can affect our mood. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I'm sure a lot of our listeners can relate because I know I feel some type of way if I don't get any sleep, if I don't eat. Just, you know, you, you, you feel, I, I know I personally definitely feel a different compared to if I feel like, you know, my sleep is in order, my food is in order, all of that really makes a difference. So I think that's a really good thing for our listeners to know. Yeah, absolutely. So that brings me to our next question, which is, um, give us your top three tips to help someone strengthen their professional resiliency, which I think you already really kind of answered, but maybe you have some other juicy tips that you can share with us as well on top of that. And so that becomes a very challenging question because when you look at the PERT model, uh, there's six areas that we train uh, professionals in. And so the, the really it's, it, how I hear that question is, what are the three most important areas to train folks? And so that makes it very challenging because they're all important. But if, if I, needed to, 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 if I needed to select which are the three most important areas, I would say the first one that we train everyone is self-regulation, which is the ability to create a sense of calmness and safety by relaxing the body. And we all know, we've all practiced these skills, deep breathing exercises, yoga, meditation. We've all practiced these skills, but one of the differences with this model compared to many other different other models is that we train you to do this in real time, meaning that we pair this with any triggers that's activating um, your sympathetic nervous system that, that activates our defense systems in our body. Um, and when, what we found, and the reason we do this is because um, those of us that, that – contributed to, to building this PERT model, including myself, we've done a lot of trauma work. And with trauma, we found that one of the most important elements in all trauma work is learning to relax your body, especially when you're confronting or facing um, some of your triggers in life, because then that creates a healing response in the body. So as an example, 
just to give you an example and put this in real life context for a student, for a, for instructors who are listening to this podcast to understand. Um, I had a student who came, uh, who registered for my BHS 155 class, which is our professional resiliency class, because she was, she was told by um, one of her friends that this could help her. What happened is that she had failed her math class. And so she took the BHS 155 class and she had mentioned that she, what happens in, in, in math is that she just gets so stressed out. And even though she thinks she's listening to the lectures at math after class, she comes out and she doesn't remember what, what was said in class. But the worst part comes with midterm and final. She says that she gets so stressed that she just completely freezes and so she'll, she'll remain the entire 45 minutes of class, not answering a single question on her midterm or final. Well, that's given one of the reasons why she had failed the prior semester. And so what I asked her to do is, now that you've learned relaxa- self-relaxation skills or self-regulation skills, I want you to practice a body scan every time you go to class. Don't focus, don't worry too much about focusing on capturing the, the the lecture focus more on just listening listening with a relaxed body so what i'd like you to do is and i asked her is just listen to the instructor and in every every so often every minute two minutes then then in your mind's eye go through your body scan your body notice any tensed muscles and loosen them and then go right back to listening and keep on doing this keep continue going back and forth listening to the lecture going back into your body, scanning it, relaxing it, and then going back to the lecture. Well, she did this over a period. The following week, she said, well, I'm still tensed. And so I continued doing it. She did it over over the period of the first part of the semester. And she came back to me right before the midterm and said, I don't know, for some reason, I'm actually learning more. I'm actually remembering more information in the lectures for some reason. It's like, great. Let's see what happens in the midterm. And so she came back and she was so excited. She said, this is the first time I actually got through uh, answering questions in my, in my midterm. Um, now, uh, a couple a week later, she came back. I got a C, but that was better than what she was getting before, which was zero. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and in her, fi- in her final, she got a B and wind up passing the class. And so this was all accomplished through that learning how to regulate yourself in real time. Because she had past painful experiences. I didn't even have to go in that. I didn't have to have her sit in my couch and tell me about your painful past experiences with math. Um, We were doing this in real time. We were connecting the parasympathetic nervous system, that relaxation response with math, before she was connecting it with the sympathetic nervous system. Or sometimes I call it the Hulk system. And Mm. she would call the Hulk, she would connect Hulk system with math, Hulk system with math. Hope, and she was strengthening that neural pathway in the nervous system. Now I was doing the opposite. It was connecting the relaxation system with math, relaxation system with math, relaxation. That other system was starting to die, to wither away. This new pathway was starting to be created. And that gave her access to the higher parts of her brain for learning. Um, and that's really how it works, this, this system. And the same thing with professionals. If you have tension with your boss... Every time you see your boss, I'm asking them to relax your body. At the same time you see your boss, as he gets closer, continue relaxing, relaxing. If you keep on pairing that, eventually what happens is you start to desensitize from that trigger. 
And that really is number one skill that I'd say would be the most beneficial for professionals, for anybody, uh, even in our personal life and our, you know, for, for marital couples. And I've seen some amazing work <laughs> with, with couples coming in and say, I just feel so tense with my, with my husband or my wife. <laughs> um, the second skill I probably would say is to build mental flexibility, the ability to see things from a different perspective. And one of the best ways is to modify our explanatory styles. Um, our explanatory styles is basically how we explain the good and bad in, that, that occur in our life. Um, and there are three ways of explaining it. One is the cause that we explain it that is internally, externally. Is this caused by me or somebody else? Um, the second one is um, permanence. Is this permanent or is this temporary? Um, so, for example, right now with, with um, instructors or students, when they look at COVID-19, they need to explain this. Is this permanent or is this temporary? Because if it's permanent then it's a more pessimistic way of looking at life, at things. If it's temporary, it's more optimistic. And that's what optimism really is. It's, optimism is not about being cheerful all the time. Uh, it, it's more about how we interpret things in our life. Do we interpret it as a more permanent or temporary way? And in the pervasiveness, do we interpret this as universal or specific? Does this affect every aspect of my life or specific as aspects of my life? For example... If I were to lose my job, universal perspective, a more pessimistic would say, that's it. My life is ruined. Every aspect of my life is my wife's going to leave me. I'm going to lose my job, my home. That's universal. That would be more pessimistic. In a specific, well, I lost my opportunities with this company. So now it's specific. And you can see how that's more optimistic because now they'll get up and apply to other positions where the other one, they give up. They, they, they learn, it's a learned hopelessness, helplessness. And then the last skill I would say that's very important to build is meaningful relationships to improve our health and well-being. Um, learning how to, to not only receive active listening, but to send messages um, using positive, constructive communication. But we can't do that until we learn the other first two, because otherwise we would perceive everything, anything you say, even if it's positive, I would perceive it in a negative way. And that's why the other two are so important. Yeah, I feel like you're speaking my language with that last one. You talked about meaningful relationships and communication, which is definitely my jam since communication <laughs> is my background. Um, but it, it is, it's very, it's very true. Um, just the importance of having relationships and how, it, how the relationships significantly um, contribute to our overall um, well-being and our emotional state, the, the positive, constructive ones. Um, and keyword constructive and, and positive um, definitely really, really can have a significant impact on, on who you are and your overall, your overall health. Absolutely, Nisha. It's interesting because when you take a look at uh, communication uh, and, and um, one of the things I tell my students is how many times, how many of you have parents that tell you, remind you, do you have homework? And, um, and of course, all my students are like, oh, <laughs> and what's your response to that? 
You know, how do you respond? How many of you actually turn to your parents and thank them for, for uh, genuinely caring about your future? And it's very rare that you have that. And that's because of interpretation. Um, and so that's why interpretation is very important, changing how we perceive things in, in relationships, because no matter what, and this can happen into adults. I mean, you can have the typical scenario of the wife that turns to the husband. Did you eat healthy? And does the husband turn to the wife and say, thank you, honey, for, for actually caring about me? No, they usually get snarky. And say, I'm not a petulant child, so you don't have to remind me every minute how to, did I, to take my vitamins. And the wife then turns to the, the husband and says, well, then fine, have a heart attack for all I care. Mm. And it's all because of, you know, um, interpretation. I mean, and it, and it comes back to those painful past experiences the husband may have had uh, what they perceived as a controlling mother or husband. And now they perceive in the same similar context, they perceive the wife as being controlling and react as such when that's a distortion of reality because all she's doing is being nurturing and loving. Mm-hmm. Well, that's why you can see why it's so important to heal from those pain, painful past experiences because they become ghosts that intrude into the present and distort reality and don't allow us to have healthy relationships. Good comparison. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay, so I'm going to ask you for one tip you have for teachers now helping students. And I and and I realize that question is probably going to be just as challenging. And I know that even right now, what I'm doing with my students seems to be different for every student and what they need, where one needs one extra day on an assignment. Another needs a resource because he needs to talk to people. And I feel like I'm trying to do like all of the things for all of the students by judging kind of what each one needs. But do you have a tip for teachers helping students right now? Probably one of the major tips I would say is to be a good role model for the students. And what I mean by that, um, you know, my, myself, one of my other colleagues in the department, um, Dr. Wilson, we're both related with the, the International Trauma Institute and the Arizona Trauma Institute. And we got, we train counselors and psychologists and mental health professionals and how to work with individuals that have suffered from trauma. And the number one tip that we give therapists is that you need to practice these skills first before you teach others. Because um, your clients, your patients will pick that up. And what will happen is that um, it'll be do as I say, not as I do. And they're always going to listen to your body language. They're always going to listen to what you're doing more than what you're saying. And so I think that's the number one tip I would say for our instructors is if we're going to help our students build resiliency, let's build it ourselves first. Uh, Let's master these skills. So that way uh, we become good role models for our students. And once we're able to do that, then the second one, uh, second skill I would say that would be very important and goes along, you can't do the, the second without the first, is to connect and bond with your students. Because it's through that relationship that may be the element they need to heal from the wounds of their past. Um, but if we don't know how to regulate ourselves 
and be present in the relationship with our students because we can't self-regulate because we lack the resiliency. It becomes hard for be for us to be the, that tool that can help our students grow. I like that. And you gave us a bonus tip, which is great. And it also goes back to your previous tip, which is about the relationships. Yes, absolutely. Because it is really, we can, by, by creating that, um, as I, you know, prior to this, we had a little brief conversation. I had mentioned about some of our students just don't trust relationships. And if we understand the context of where they grew up. So for example, our, our, our foster students, um, if unfortunately our foster students grew up not trusting relationships, I mean, they were growing, they grew up in a foster care and a foster home. Um, they have a concept, a, a belief system about relationships and it's hard to trust because the only person that's supposed to love you unconditionally probably left them for drugs or something else. So it's hard for them to truly believe in their gut that I can trust relationships that you're going to be here no matter what for me. Um, but we can be, we can change that, that script and their, that mental script that as they push us away, we can continue pushing back and saying, you know, I, I know you get frustrated with me being here, but no matter what, I'm still going to be here for you. And, and, and that can be um, that one thing that really, if we continue doing that, continue doing it, rewrites how they see relationships that changes their entire life, um, which is amazing because we can have that potential to transform some uh, one of our students' life by just doing simple things like that. Yeah, that's truly amazing. I learned a lot. I took notes. Yeah. From what you said today. <laughs> <laughs> I did. Yes. I, I was just like a sponge. I'm just like absorbing everything right now. It's, it's great information. And all, and, and very practical and very useful and helpful. And yeah, all those, all the things. Thank mm-hmm. you, Thomas. Mm-hmm. I think it's helpful, not just in, in, in and I, brought in a little bit because we were talking about professional resiliency, but I try to zero into what we're more, we relate more to students, mm-hmm. but it, it's across the board. I mean, it, it, it's even for supervisors within professionals to understand, um, to better understand why can't my, um, you know, uh, employee understand or why, you know, can't they live, follow directions. But if we take it into a broader context of what they've experienced, it makes sense. Their, their body is reacting as it should um, in a defensive way, if we understand, if we mm-hmm. can take time just to listen to their story. Yeah. Um, and that's, I think that's what happened. Doesn't we miss that, that, that opportunity to listen to people's stories. <laughs> mm-hmm. Very true. Well, we always end with what's on our radar. So we're going to, we're going to do that anyway, even though we had a little bit of a different kind of episode today we still want to end with with it mainly because Tanisha and I like like talking about it Mm. what's on the horizon that looks good that's kind of exciting for us coming up so what have you got coming up Thomas what's on your radar I I guess what's not on my radar on my radar one of the things that I want to do is is I'd like to do some traveling Um, that was on our radar this that we're going to do this this year my wife and I Mm -hmm. Um, and unfortunately, uh, 
COVID threw a monkey wrench in, the, in that plan. Um, you know, because we, we don't want to be um, exposed to some of the, the risks of flying, for example. My wife, by the way, is by Korea, you know, is from Korea. So we were hoping to go back to Korea <laughs> mm. um, this upcoming summer, next year. Um, we were planning actually this summer, but that didn't work out. Now we're hoping this coming summer that will happen. That her. So that's one of the things. <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's so nice to look forward to. Yeah. But if it doesn't, we'll find something else to do. I mean, you'll be resilient. Yep. That's yes. <laughs> we'll bounce back and we'll like, okay, let's go just go to the Grand Canyon. <laughs> but that, that was more in the personal, I think in more in the professional area. Yeah. Um, this summer I, I was contracted by Penal County to train probation officers. Um, and they're asking me for this upcoming summer to, to, I, or to, we were training half of the pr- probation officers in the, this summer. My hope is training the other half of pr- probation officers in Penal County and ex- expanding that. How do we get now, get out and train police officers in all of Maricopa? And we've been working with, with um, AZ Post. Um, so we're making some good headway. In fact, AZ Post just recently accepted our BHS 150 professional resiliency approve that for CEUs for all police officers in the state of Arizona. So there's a lot Great. of nice things in the horizon. <laughs> yeah. And, and ultimately it's going to benefit the community. Right. Overall. Right. That's great. Right. How about you, Tanisha? What's on your radar? Um, it's a little cheesy, but um, I would have to say Netflix, like comedy specials. <laughs> <laughs> Netflix has a lot of uh, comedy on it. And I'm, I, I think it's interesting because I'm not, I wouldn't say I'm, I'm super into comedy, but I think I got a deeper appreciation for it when I started watching um, this show called Comedians and Cars Getting Coffee. Um, and it's with uh, Jerry Seinfeld and he picks up comedians in these like really cool cars that represent the comedians that he's picking up and they just talk about, about comedy and that show kind of really ushered in, um, other comedy shows and really paying attention to comedy a little bit more and having a deeper appreciation for what they do and, and what it really takes to kind of put these different things together. Um, so that's been on my radar and, it's always a good thing to laugh. I think it's a great <laughs> stress reliever. Uh, and, you know, it's comedy's not every person's thing, but it's nice being able to tune in to maybe something funny and, and kind of release any tension that you might be feeling. It kind of helps to just laugh. So, uh, yeah, that's kind of what's, what's on my radar. So That and, sounds nice. So, it is. Another resiliency tip. <laughs> Laughter. What'd you say? Oh, laughter. Yes, laughter really does make a difference. You know, it's nice just sitting and zoning out and just laughing and having a good time. Who's your favorite comedian? Um, Right now, um, there is this comedian that I really like. I think her name is uh, Michelle Boutreau, um, who came out with a, a special. Um, so that's someone that, that I really like. Uh, I, I've heard of her before and then I found out she was going to have a special and she's one of the people that I was really excited to see in Netflix. Oh, well, we're going to put her in our show notes. Yeah. (laughs) Send me a link, Tanisha. (laughs) I will. I'll definitely have to send you a link. Okay. I have to, 
Oh, go oh. ahead. Go ahead, Thomas. We went to um, Julio uh, um, Gabriel Iglesias Fluffy's show oh. uh, last year when he came to two, when he came here to Phoenix. <laughs> he is so funny. He is so hilarious. He's he's someone else I saw in Netflix. <laughs> And I was just, I was laughing from beginning to end. He's great. Yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. I have to say I identified with what Thomas said about traveling. And so I say this is coming, this is on my radar, but it's not even really on my radar yet because I don't have specific plans. I just, I just miss my family. I miss my brother and mm. my mom and stepdad and my in-laws. And I just look forward to the day when, um, uh, you know, we can, we can visit again, whenever that's, whenever that's going to be. Where do they live? Oh, let's see. We've got the uh, Seattle area, uh, Minneapolis area, uh, Colorado, everywhere but Arizona. (laughs) 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 Someday. Someday. Well, thank you for being here with us, Thomas. I really enjoyed um, listening to you talk about resiliency and and talking to uh, especially the instructors in our audience about things that they can do. I think it's going to be helpful. Thank you for inviting me. I look forward to having additional conversations of this in the near future. Absolutely. Yeah, that would be great. So thank you to everyone for being here on on our podcast. Thank you to our listeners for listening to our episode on resiliency. Thank you so much for joining us. And we look forward to having you join us for the next episode.